This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so excited for today because we've got Murtaza Hyder. People that listen to the show will know Murtaza because he is uh, a past guest. He's a fan favorite. That's right. Um, we love having him on the program. Super bright guy. He's, of course, a professor of data science and real estate management at Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly Ryerson. And he's back on the show today. And the and the, here's the two best things about this, uh, apart from its jam-packed, short and concise. And right. I don't always like short and concise, but the, the, the amount of insight and detail in a half hour here is incredible. And second of all, we haven't done this in a while. We talked to Murtaza today. So we know the Bank of Canada paused rates. We know this morning on Bloomberg, they're talking about potential rate cuts in the new year. Whether or not that happens, who knows, but we are able to put today's issues to Murtaza Hyder. And it's so great to get basically a real-time analysis of what's going on. And what I love about this as well is it's September 7th when we're recording this uh, this interview. This is really, this is like launching pad uh, for the fall market here, um, unofficially start of kind of Q4, right? Right. Um, so really excited to to have Murtaza on the program. I know a lot of people in the industry and and following the market will want to be thinking about what how this is going to pan out. What does the balance of 2023 look like? And there's almost no better guess than Murtaza to kind of give an overview of Canadian real estate and all the markets that uh, that really are close to home for us. Absolutely. So stay tuned for our talk with Murtaza. Before that, Adam, Jaden Lee, we're a month out. October 6th is when he's running 100 miles from BC Children's Hospital all the way home to Chilliwack. Everybody, I think, that listens to the show is familiar with this story by now. Jaden Lee had cancer as a teenager. He's now 24. He's going to his last year of the five years post-cancer for his final checkup at BC Children's. And he's running home. He's trying to raise $150,000. The live wire, we have a link. Underscore Jaden Lee on Instagram is another place you can get a link to donate uh, as well as our Instagram page. And, uh, and it does seem like it's gaining, gaining traction. Yeah. And I mean, we're, what we're doing as well, as I'll mention this, uh, we are sending out a VRAP shirt for anyone who donates $20 or more to Jaden's cause. We really want to get behind. We Jayden. almost He's, had to keep the print, the, the t-shirt press on overnight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so many shirts are sending super out. expensive printing press we bought, <laughs> but that's the future. Yeah. Uh, printing press. <laughs> uh, so here's, here's the thing though, is we really want to get behind Jaden. Uh, we'd love the VRep community to get behind him. I think this is a good cause. So you don't have to uh, to give a lot, but $20, we'll send you out a shirt. We'll put it in the mail. We would love to get uh, some some more support behind this. Yeah, and, and don't uh, be scared to give more. Don't and, be scared. And also, don't be, uh, don't be scared to participate. If you want to run, you can get involved as well because he's looking for people to help run along the way. Here's another way to, to how you can do this. 
Ikam Sandu, yeah, friend of the show, realtor, just posted to his Instagram following a link with the story based on Jaden's conversation with us on the podcast. Uh, he just posted to all his followers as we calling, as we were as we uh, hit record. So he's calling on everyone to, to fresh donate. Your mind. Yeah. So thank you, Ikam. That was uh, fantastic. And uh, I think everybody's got to get involved. And last but not least, Matt, a couple other small housekeeping items before we get to this conversation with Murtaza. As we just mentioned, Bank of Canada held the held the rate. Big news. Um, the other thing I want to mention is we just had John Friesen, CEO of Mission Group, in the studio. In the studio. If you want, uh, I mean, think of uh, masterclass. Uh, Let's call it a masterclass. Let's master call it what class. it is. It's a masterclass. John Friesen is a is an incredibly bright guy. It was great having him here. Um, we had a fantastic conversation. One of the things we talked about is Kelowna and the future of that market. Really insightful. The future on, of the city uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's unbelievable. So if you are a listener in the Okanagan or if you're interested in the Okanagan, that episode's coming up. I cannot wait. Um, we've got some other amazing episodes that are are waiting to be uh, put out over the next month, six Absolutely. weeks. So super excited for that. And last but not least, the sold plan, because the sold plan is, again, we've had so many people downloading the sold plan. This is a printing press This issue, is not yeah. the t-shirt press. <laughs> yeah, This is an immediate download for anyone. If you're looking to sell uh, this market or in the distant future, it's a great thing to just have as a resource. If you're an agent, we've had so many agents and, uh, and people, industry people, download this document. Just basically go to the site. You can click sell with us. There is an instant download for the sold plan, which is a step-by-step -step guide for getting your property ready for market. It's popular for a reason. It's popular for a reason. And let's just be clear, Adam, we are happy to share all the tricks and tips, but uh, if you're looking to sell your home, we'd love to work with you. Absolutely. That is, that is absolutely 100% correct. Well, without further ado, Matt, here is our conversation, action-packed 30, 35 minutes with Murtaza Hyder. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Murtaza Haider. He is the Professor of Data Science and Real Estate Management at Toronto Metropolitan University. How are you doing, Murtaza? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. 
Yeah, and th- thanks for taking the time, Murtaza. And we should say past guest fan favorite. So thanks for coming back on. Always a pleasure. And, and can you start maybe, Murtaza, by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, of course. Uh, I am based in Toronto. I am a professor at Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly known as Ryerson uh, University. Um, I'm in the School of Business or School of Management, and I teach real estate management, and I also teach data science and forecasting, predictive analytics. Fantastic. And maybe just to start off, uh, uh, kind of broad strokes about the market, Murtaz, I know you kind of monitor Canadian real estate uh, in general as well. Can you talk just a little bit about how the, how's the Canadian real estate market? Well, on the housing side, I think the housing side had a bit of a recovery um, uh, and then uh, what has happened is that in the last maybe more than a year, um, the market has been adjusting to higher interest rates. As the interest rates climbed earlier in 2022, uh, the, mar- the sales went down um, and the prices moderated. And now I think the, we have come to a stage where the uh, buyers have uh, made their peace with the higher interest rates and they know that it's not going to be going down anytime soon. Therefore, uh, we saw um, in earlier 2023 a resurgence in sales and some recovery in prices. And I think that's continue going to be the, the case that we will have um, the recovery in the sense that we won't have 2021-like situation, but that was extraordinary. We'll have more of the pre-pandemic level of sales and pre-pandemic level of price increases or changes. Uh, but as long as the higher interest rates remain, um, there would be a challenge for the existing homeowners as their mortgages will come to an end and they will have to renegotiate or, or, or the mortgage, mortgages. So if you had a mortgage at 2% interest rates or mortgage rate in the past and you're renewing at 6%, these kind of um, issues would have some impact on housing markets in the future as well. So what I'm trying to say is that the impact of higher interest rates have not fully went through the entire housing market. We'll continue to see uh, impact on it. Um, on the commercial side, office real estate is struggling. Office real estate is is struggling, um, and and there is no end in sight at the moment. Uh, we have higher than usual vacancy rates on the office. Uh, in Toronto, it's between fifteen and eighteen percent. In Calgary, it's about over thirty three percent. I think Vancouver is the same, fifteen percent on average rate, which means that uh, the demand for office real estate is lower than what it was in the past. And working from home and people's teleworking. Uh, continues to have its its impact. So how the office market will react in the long run when the office leases or office leases come for renewal, that would be an interesting aspect as well. And, and Murtaza, we, we just had a pause in the, the hiking cycle. It seems like, and it, it feels like it changes every day, but there, there was, some people seem to be suggesting the Bank of Canada will raise another quarter point by the end of this year. Today's morning headlines seem to be, uh, it looks like a consensus is forming that interest rates might go down in the first quarter of 2024. What's your take? Are we done with with interest rate hikes? Well, I'm, I'm certainly no expert on forecasting interest rates. Um, and if I could, or anybody could forecast interest rates, they wouldn't be giving you interviews. They would be too busy doing other things. So, <laughs> Counting money. So, yeah, so, so uh, I, I honestly don't know because... The, the reason I say this is the mixed signals that, that come in. And certainly, sometimes you see things going down. And at one point, we were looking at banks going um, going under in the U.S. And it looks like it's going to start and not stop. And there was one bank that went uh, up, belly up. And then the other 
And then suddenly that stopped. And then uh, unusually stronger labor market reports started to come in. Um, so, so we were expecting interest rates declines or cuts, and then those strong labor market reports resulted in um, uh, even tightening of the interest rate regimes. And then uh, when this was happening, suddenly in Canada, you saw that the the, the spending was declining um, more than expected. So one started to believe that there's going to be less of an incentive to raise interest rates. So uh, if you take all of this information in, then you would conclude that uh, too many things happen, giving too many different signals. And by the time you absorb one piece of information, the next piece of information gives you a contradictory signal, which means that interest rates may continue to be in an unprecedented um, environment where they may go up or may go down. The odds of going higher interest rates are low because there's a capacity of the economy to absorb such higher cost of doing business. And, and, and I don't expect that to be there. Uh, my two cents would be that interest rates should be would be going down, but again, when I said the same thing a month ago that they, I expect them to be going down, they went up. So, so, so don't don't make any purchasing plans based on my advice. And and Murtaza, just listening to at least on the residential side, what you're saying, um, you know, as as goes interest rates goes housing. Is, is this just an interest rate story at this point in terms of of understanding the Canadian housing market and where we're at? Yeah, so I, I, I started studying the housing markets in mid-1990s. So it's been three, three, 30 years now. And, and I, it's an interest rate story, actually. As the interest rates go up, prices moderate, sales go down. As interest rates go down, prices go up. So it, it's a, they move in opposite direction. And it's quite a predictable plan that, that well, if, when the interest rates are going down, because he had the same time when, after COVID, when, when interest rates were at record low, like almost 0%, it would have made no sense for anyone not to borrow. So the, all the incentives were there for rational people to go out and borrow as much money as they can and buy homes, one first home or the second home or the third home. And people did that because there was, there was free money, literally free money out there. And now with the interest rates being high and, and the cost of uh, carrying these mortgages is significantly high, uh, you could see that the price hikes have slowed down. The demand is coming back because people who need to buy homes have to buy homes. It's not that they can circumvent it. And then the, the kind of homes that were sold were smaller. They were um, farther from the urban center. These changes did happen. So the sort of what we call the flattening of the rent gradient that, you know, uh, homes farther away started to appreciate in prices because people were working from home and the demand for non-core urban core housing increased. But all is being driven by the cost of borrowing and the cost of the, how, what, what interest rates do to people's ability to pay month-to-month mortgages. And, and Murtaza, does this moment remind you of any other moment? Yeah, I mean, look, um, in the if you go back to the early 90s, we had a big recession. And then at that moment, it, it's kind of reminding it, but not really. But, but you see, when the recession happened in 1989, 1990, the interest rates were to the tune of 14%, 15%, even 19%, and mortgages were at very high. And then when the interest rates, there was a recession, everything went down, and then from early 90s to mid-90s, um, housing markets were slow, people were not buying as many homes, new construction was not on the horizon, and we needed this very long, uh, stable, low interest rate environment for the markets to recover. 
So so even though when I say that the market interest rates are high, six percent, seven percent, they are no way close to where they were in the in the late eighties, early nineties when they were hitting eighteen, fifteen to nineteen percent. But the the movement of the market is similar to what we have seen in the past. But the the swing of the pendulum is not as extreme as it used to be in the past. Interesting. Why is that? Well, I have a hypothesis about it, but I think more informed individuals exist who can offer more qualified um, opinions about it. I believe that the central banks all across the world uh, have been able to manipulate the economies a little better. So uh, with the the kind of information and communication technologies, um, the the market signals or information about the markets reaches the central banks sooner than later. Um, see, economy of national economies are too large of an animal for one to know that you're gauging the temperature all across the economy at the same time in real time. That wasn't the case in the past. So people, the central banks and those who are regulating the rates are able to gauge what is happening in the economy in real time across the economy. So they are able to adjust to it and react to it faster. In the past, by the time you react, the markets have gone uh, in the wrong direction uh, too far out. So that's one. The second thing is that the global interdependency in, in the economic infrastructure, you know, the, the globalization of the economy, the outsourcing of manufacturing, our reliance on cheap labor and cheap uh, uh, manufacturing all over the world, is also allows us to keep the costs low for products being consumed here in the developed world. So all of these things contribute to um, the ability of central bankers to regulate the the economy, prevent it from heating too much, and um, by acting sooner and and providing the kind of incentives when the markets are slowing down. I think the the ability to provide stimulus at the right time in 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 the right amount um, and and heating and and then pulling the reins when the market is heating up too much. Uh, all of this is being enabled by the real-time availability of data, real-time availability of information, and the fact that we are able to produce and, and manufacture cheaply and move things, food, including food, uh, from remote places in, in an affordable way now than we were able to do so in the past. So, Murtaza, I'm just thinking about 2024, you know, assuming the economy is cooling as it as it appears to be. How does the cooling economy impact real estate? And And I'm thinking... In terms of potentially interest rates coming off if the if the economy is cooling, but fewer jobs, along with those rolling rate renewals amongst a lot of people who purchased over the last five years, how does this play out? So, so at the moment, see, governments have taken a few steps that give me some idea as to what why they have done it and what would have been happening. So, for example, last year we learned that Canada brought in about a million people. In one calendar year, they have never done this before. That the population increase was to this such an extent. Now the question is, why that happened? Well, it happened because the businesses must have informed the government that there are not enough workers, and we are trying to fill the jobs. And we, there's lots of help wanted. And so we need more people, and we need unskilled or semi-skilled labor, and it's not there. So what did the governments do? They opened up the um, immigration floodgates, brought in a million people. And, and and look at the students. You have about half a million students coming to Canada every year. That's two times what it used to be the case, which means that the economy is the, the labor force required to run the Canadian economy is not sufficiently available from within the markets here. That's why we're bringing the labor from outside. That's 
one thing that I understand. So this means that the economy may not be cooling as much. It may be even heating up because we are bringing all of these people in. The second thing is that even if there's a um, there's an uh, cooling of the markets, it may not be very evident in in prices. Um, the, if you look at the uh, price of used cars, it, they're still very expensive. They, they're much higher than where they used to be in the past. So, um, and the grocery bills are still higher. I don't see there's a big relief in terms of prices. Maybe people have started to consume less, uh, and that's why you may see a decline in spending, but the prices are not falling. So the way I'm seeing it, I see less of an in reason for the governments to reduce interest rates in a in a big way in 2024. If there is a movement or cut, it would be it would be marginal. It wouldn't be large because I don't see a big slowdown. Anytime we see a slowdown happening, and then the next non-farm payroll statistics come out and they show a very robust labor force. So how would it play out? I think. Sales would housing sales will continue to be in the same range as they are, maybe slightly lower. Prices would stabilize; they would not fall anymore. Housing prices, and this will continue until such time that we reach a stage where mortgage rates or basically interest rates go down significantly. And that, to me, um, um, and I am reading materials written by some very informed people, that that is not happening in 2024. Maybe in the long run, but nothing substantial. Again, this is all based on the assumption that the, there's no sudden drop in economic productivity in Canada. There are no signs, at least visible to me or the people that I read from. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 
Murtaza, there seems to be an argument out there that that Canada's in the largest housing bubble of all time. We just had we had IMF, the IMF saying that we're the riskiest of twenty seven developed nations. What's your take on that? Oh yeah, that was a very interesting report from IMF. That was uh, um, we wrote about it in National Post, um, and the that Canada is the most the riskiest of twenty seven. I remember that report in which they made a table and started coloring. Uh, based on some indicators saying, okay, this color for this indicator. That was more of an exercise using crayons than econometrics or statistical analysis. I, so, so uh, no, I'm, I'm not joking, actually. This is this is what my assessment was when I said read the report saying, oh, okay, so, so look, the thing is, Canada is not the, the riskiest economy. It's a very conservative society when it comes to financial risk. And, and and it's quite obvious about Canada, and even if you compare it with Americans, that Canadians by default are risk-averse individuals. And and the reason why they have invested in housing is because we have nothing else to invest in, right? If, if Google and and Facebook and Tesla were Canadian companies and things, new innovative products were being created in Canada, maybe Canadians would invest in it. But other than maple syrup, nothing stable comes out of <laughs> Canada that people would choose to invest. I mean, that's a bigger concern that I think what, what we are facing is is a crisis in innovation. What we are facing is a crisis in productivity. What we are facing is that, you know, I, I was in Italy last month and, and I was in Rome and then um, I was looking at these beautiful uh, structures, architectural heritage, and uh, against those structures in a big piazza on the other side was a humongous ad by Samsung advertising their new cell phones like humongous ad that was trying to eclipse the architectural wonders of the world in in rome and and i i thought to myself i said when was the last time a canadian traveling about abroad saw a canadian product showcased like this like what do we have to sell to the rest of the world other than maple syrup and and, and other things that we dig out dig out of the earth and and sell it potash and other products so our proud problem is that canadians don't see products that they can invest in and invest their money. So if they have savings, housing remains the only thing until such time that we create a marketplace of innovative products that Canadians proudly invest in so that some of the investment capital moves from housing, which is not as big of a productive capital, then to to creating new products that that are more productive from an economic point of view. That's that's interesting because I, I you always hear, and it's generally on Twitter, people... Uh, you know, lamenting, I guess that that all the all the capital goes into housing in in Canada as opposed to into productive investments. But it sounds like there's a chicken and egg thing. If there's nothing to invest in, of course it's going to go into housing. Um, yeah, yeah. And and also, I mean, you know, with the when you compare countries, I mean, Canada is is a different place. People have a different attitude towards housing. We consume more of housing. It's not that we are investing more in it. Um, I stayed in different cities in Italy and in different size units, like somewhere we rented apartments, somewhere we rented houses, and, and nowhere we found uh, housing to be comparable to Canadian standards. In the bedrooms, if you have a king-size bed in an Italian bedroom, there's no place to walk around it, right? Like the bedrooms are so small. If you have a car, the streets are so narrow that you park your car two miles away and then walk your way towards towards your destination because the streets are narrow enough for, for even a domestic, like a decent mid-sized sedan. The point is that Europe and other places lack real estate. They have smaller space. 
you know, Europe is so small that if you make a wrong turn on a road uh, in, 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 North, in North America, if you make a wrong turn on a road, you may end up in the wrong municipality. But Europe is so tightly packed, if you make a wrong turn, you end up in the wrong country. So, so, so you have to, be, have to be mindful of the fact that the kind of consumption they have um, is quite different. And the state plays a much larger role in public housing. They, maybe 20% of the housing stock or maybe 20% of the people who are renting are renting from the state. In here, it's usually 3 to 5% of the housing is in the public sector. So quite different. In terms of risk, we have one of the lowest mortgage rate defaults in the world. Every time I hear this, that we are the riskiest, then I turn to the Canadian Mortgage Brokers Canada's website and I look at the mortgage default rates and it's not even 1%. It's like a percentage, less than a percentage point. It hasn't been increasing. So the Canadians have shown that they are responsible borrowers. Even if they have borrowed more money, invested more money in housing, they're not defaulting on it. They're not transferring the risk to other other entities in the economy. They are shouldering their financial responsibilities in a reasonable way. And I don't see that as a risky business. So Murtaza, so Canadians seem to love investing in real estate, yet Canadians also love to vilify real estate investors. What's your take on, on uh, perceptions of real estate investing? I think uh, that's um, a very poor understanding of housing markets and 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 some of my colleagues in academia are 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 equally involved in vilifying investors they believe that the uh, um, real estate may be like weeds and it can grow by itself right you know weeds grow without any help right so 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 if you need an apartment building for rent rental living and you say well we need more apartment buildings then they believe that uh, if you just have enough sunshine and rain, then there will be apartment buildings coming out left, right, and center. <laughs> well, who's going to invest? You need investors. You need risk takers. People who come in, invest money, and take the risk. Uh, go take the risk of the approval of the process, but you don't know if the project will be approved. Then they take the construction risk. Right now, I was teaching a class this morning, and I showed them the 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 construction cost price index. The construction cost price index is 25% higher than it was in 2017. It was only 4% higher than 2017 in 2019. In 2019 and 2020, the rate of increase over 2017 was just 4 or 5%. Now it's over 25%. So basically, if you had a project to prove and you did all the performer analysis and started building your construction project, all your cost estimates are out, the, out of the window because now the construction costs have escalated by 25%. And again, who's a, who's who is absorbing that risk? The investor, right? The investors come in, stick their neck out, assume all the risk, and without the investors and speculators, nothing will ever be built. I used to teach a class in which I talk about investors, and and one day, um, actually, I remember I was in in um, I was traveling in in Boston, and I was checking bookstores, and I was at the Howard University's bookstore, and I picked up picked up a book about Paris. And it was about why and how Paris got built. And, and so Paris, it turned out, was entirely built by and financed by investors and speculators. Investors came in. So when you go and look at these beautifully beautiful facades in Paris and, and the boulevards and around the boulevards, you have these five to seven story buildings and all of this housemanized uh, uh, architecture and you're praising it. Behind all of it were investors. Behind all of it were speculators. But we just don't know about it. We think people, everybody in that building uh, pulled up their resources and said, we should have a five-story building with 200 units. Let's start putting money together. We can build it by ourselves. None of that happened. 
this fable, this this misconception, um, this vilifying of investors is is very dangerous because guess who it hurts the most? It hurts most the people who rely on rental units and who need those investors to come in and build the rental units. And if you keep to push investors away, they will find other avenues, other other destinations for their capital. And we would have less of housing, as is the case now. We were building far more housing in 1970s than we are building today relative to our population. And this will not change if we keep pushing investors away. So, Murtaza, that it's a perfect segue to the next question, because I've been thinking about this a, a lot. But if we're, you know, with the with the levels of immigration, with, you know, decades of not building enough housing uh, and and current starts seeming to drop off a cliff across the country, as I understand, how, how does this play out? Because investors, at least in in Vancouver, many investors seem to be sitting on the sidelines and and it doesn't seem like there's a huge impetus to come back into the market, um, you know, in the near term. How, how, what, what happens here? Yeah, I, I think the um, housing starts, uh, which went up in 2021, then went down in 2022, probably will remain low in 2023. And mind you, this is happening after the Canadian government announced that we need 3.5 million more homes than business as usual. So 2.5 million homes by 2030 as business as usual, and on top of it, 3.5 million more homes we need to restore affordability to housing markets. In in Ontario, the Ford government, the Conservatives estimated that we need 1.5 million more homes than business as usual, and and there's been this big push, and I think something similar is happening on on the West end, on on the West as well. But the reality is that um, the disruptions to disruptions to supply chains. Number one, uh, number two, the labor force uh, uncertainty, uh, increasing construction costs, um, and and now on top of it, these fires. I mean, I I don't know. I have started to think about these fires. There's so much of fires that have happened. So much of property has been lost that the demand for housing probably increased because of all that infrastructure properties you have lost. You have to rebuild. And that is also going into construction, the same labor, the same capital, the same uh, materials would go in rebuilding those. And then all that timber that we have lost, um, that may have a a negative impact on the supply of wood that we need to build. So I don't see conditions conducive for construction for for sort of the uh, construction on a war footing happening in the future. And I'm quite concerned that the targets that we finally set for ourselves to building more homes um, they would they have become even harder to achieve in the last twelve months. Murtaza, we we promised we'd keep you only for thirty minutes here, and uh, we're we're getting very close to that. So maybe as a final question, kind of a two part question: What will be the headline for the real estate market in Canada for the balance of twenty twenty three? And then as a second part, what do you think the headline will be for twenty twenty four? Oh, very good questions. Let me think. Um, I think the balance of twenty twenty. I mean, the next four months, we will see sort of a weakening of demand, but that's not really weakening of demand. It's more cyclical. Sales are slower in October, September, October, November, December. So basically, we will see that the the sales would be moderate, slowing down, which is expected, not unexpected. Prices may hold steady. And in 2024, there's so much at play. I mean, I don't know how the, the higher mortgage rates for people who go back to renew their mortgages, how what will be that impact of that on the on the larger market? But I'm assuming my assumption is that the lenders, that's banks and others, 
um, and the governments will relax rules around mortgage renewals and amortization periods so that 2024 could see a resurgence in housing sales. So the 2024, probably in my view, given what I just said, that I expect some relaxation of rules will result in a stable demand for housing for 2024. Um, I believe uh, office real estate, especially vacant office real estate, the, the push to convert it to residential will increase. So you may end up living in the same building where you worked once. That may also start to happen in, in, mm. in 2024. I already have seen in Calgary a few months ago, I visited Calgary to look at properties that they converted from office to residential. And there are some very successful examples of it. It's a complicated process, but if your building is sitting empty and not earning any rent, uh, commercial rent, maybe the conversion is a better option. Some of those could also happen. One thing that I want to see is that people who are already here and have moved out of the labor force uh, since the pandemic, you need to find a way to bring them back because bringing new immigrants to fill the labor force gaps could be a costly exercise from a housing perspective. So people who have disengaged um, uh, from from the labor market uh, who are already in Canada, have been in Canada, I would be very interested in getting those people back, motivated and, and you know, back to back to work kind of a thing so that we get more workers without increasing the demand for housing. Well, Murtaza, uh, I know our audience uh, loves when you're on the show. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, yeah, thanks again for uh, for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And, and Murtaza, how can people find out more about what you're up to? Yes, so uh, you can go to uh, www.urbananalyticsinstitute.com, which is the our institute's website, and we, we post there. And if people want to know, read Financial Post uh, once a week, you will see our column. We have taken a break for, uh, last month for vacation, but usually every week you will find a column from uh, myself and my co-author, Stephen Moranis. We write a weekly column for Financial Post. Which, get, which reappears in, in local newspapers. You may find us in Vancouver Sun and Calgary Herald and whatnot. Uh, so so we, we, we try to keep Canadians informed uh, of, of uh, the trends in housing and real estate markets and how, trying to help them make informed decisions. Absolutely. And we always follow along. It's definitely worth uh, watching for. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Murtaza. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll let you get to that next appointment. Thank you kindly. Take care. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Murtaza Haider, Professor of Data Science and Real Estate Management at Toronto Metropolitan University. Yeah, Matt, really enjoyed that conversation with Murtaza. Uh, super insightful guy. Also Pretty good jokes. Really good jokes. Really funny guy. But I, you know, I, it's funny. I have a, a niece who just went to, um, I keep calling it Ryerson, but Toronto Metropolitan University. She just started. And I was, as we were talking, I was thumbing through his courses to see if he had like an intro course I could send her way just to take a course oh. with him. But what, he's pretty, he's graduate. I level. think he's graduate. I think all of his stuff is pretty high level. But anyways, regardless, what a force. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, great talking to Murtaza. I love the uh, his perspective because I feel like he kind of threads the needle of, you know, not calling everything. I'm getting sick of the guys who know it all. Right. Yeah. He knows it all, but he's not arrogant about it. Sure. And uh, and I like how he kind of. I love the way he presents the information. Too bad we didn't get the five wire with Murtaza. He no. was, he was, a, he's a busy guy. 
He's a super busy guy and he always wants to make it happen when we invite him on the program. So really today was, um, we had a few, a few other recording times kind of fall apart because of schedules. Today was like fitting us in. So we appreciate the 30 minutes, but man, I think we got more in that 30 minutes than we often do in an hour anyways. Absolutely. No, it was great having him on. What else do we have uh, before we go for the day, Adam? Uh, I guess we have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like the live wire. This is where you can not only donate to Jaden Lee's cause. I hate yes. to keep bringing it up, but it's, uh, no, it's, bring it it's, up. it's worth Man. it. We also have our catalog on there, deal of the month, different types of stats, stats before anyone else. VIP access to pre-sales. And there's there's some incentives out there now. It's uh, Again, I feel like the summer is a little bit of a doldrum for, for new releases, but there's some new launches here that look really interesting. Get all that on the live wire. We also have the sold plan, of course, sell with us button and private client services. Yeah, Matt, because if you're not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free available at your fingertips over at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Click buy with us. You can sign up for your own free PCS account. This is the best way to monitor the market and what a time to get sold prices and access to listings as early as they come out. This is the way to do it. What a time to be alive. Well, Adam, I think that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. Very excited about next week's episode as well. If you so want any good shows, I know. Coming. So I know. Many, we, you know, I hate to say it, we released so many great ones over the summer, but really we're stacking this fall market because I, really what a, what a time September, everybody, everyone's back to work, which means that real estate has your attention. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> Especially if you're not in the real estate industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, get ready for some fantastic programs. And again, thanks for listening. Last but not least, Matt, I do want to say this because we've had some fantastic reviews. If you're on Spotify or if you're on iTunes, uh, I guess Apple Podcasts now listening, please do give us a five-star review, write about how you feel about the show and uh, we, we really appreciate you sharing Vancouver Real Estate Podcast with your friends and family if you think they'll find it useful. Otherwise, Matt, how can people get in touch? You can get in touch at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And I just want to make a funny little comment here that my mom brought up to me is she said, do you notice that on the show you always say, or you can try me because I can't get a hold of you? Oh, wait, try me. Oh, said, or you can try me. And my mom's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. So I, like, what do I, I try you all the time? You don't yeah, answer. Yeah, you're always in a meeting. You're <laughs> always in a meeting, no matter what. <laughs> I thought this was just an auto text line. <laughs> That's not true. That's no, not if you don't recognize a number, you pick up though. <laughs> so, but you can also try us, of course. Uh, and we do receive these messages for sure. Uh, on our Kokomo line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We'll have a great week and uh, we'll see everyone next week for another banger episode. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. 